this on. Check, check. Okay, rolling. After the events of the lost year, there was no reliable news, but I discovered a handful of personal recordings and unerased voicemails that have been flung into the ether like messages in a bottle. It is impossible to know if these things described here were accounts of actual events or just stories made up to keep someone's mind working. A chance to break the endless silence and hear one's own voice. I'd like to believe that these are attempts to honor tradition and maybe, foolishly, to lift the spirits of whoever found it. This is Trunk or Treat by Jeff C. Carter from We Bleed Orange and Black. Sharon knelt down and fussed with Dylan's goggles. But mom, I want to go out. Her son emphasized each word by stamping his feet. Sharon usually found public displays of sass to be infuriating, but today it was almost adorable. Dylan was dressed in little overalls and painted tangerine yellow like his favorite cartoon character. Still, she hated those insufferable movies. We are going to have fun. It was not a suggestion. She dragged him toward the parking lot. Her friend Janet waved, dragging a petulant child of her own. Happy Halloween, Janet shouted. Oh my gosh, Dylan, you look so cute. Dylan shared a sour look with Josie, his fellow captive. She looked equally helpless despite her perfect superhero outfit. I think it's over here. It should already be started. They turned the corner into a narrow parking lot. It looked like a tailgating party for Halloween. Masked grown-ups stood posted at the bumper of each car, handing out candy from their trunks. Costumed kids darted back and forth, spilling cups of popcorn and towing assorted balloon animals. Dylan and Josie, who had been dragging their feet seconds before, looked up at their mothers with pleading puppy dog eyes. The moms laughed. Just stay where we can see you. The kids raced across the blacktop. This is nice, isn't it, Sharon sighed. She and Janet strolled among the rows of cars. Each trunk was open and decorated with its own theme, from white sheet ghosts and arching black cats to elaborate sets styled like popular movies and kids' shows. I just think this is better than walking through traffic at night or sending Dylan up to some stranger's house. Janet stuffed her cheeks with popcorn. I know, right? I try keeping up with Josie after she's had a pound of sugar. Never again, I swear. An old Cadillac with a trunk full of dangling rubber bats and spiders was blasting Tim Burton's greatest hits from its speakers. The skeleton mask wearing driver handed them each a ticket. There was going to be a raffle, a vote for best car, a costume contest, and so on. If they were lucky, both the kids and their parents would be going home with goodies. Dylan was having a total meltdown this afternoon. He said this was fake Halloween. Janet grabbed her arm. One of the other moms in my group actually gave me shit about this. Can you believe it? She said trunk or treat robs kids of their independence. Hello, who made the costume? Who gets stuck carrying Josie when she's too tired to walk up a hill? Independence, my ass. Sharon took another raffle ticket. It's not that we don't trust our neighbors or the community or anything. I mean, this is a community event. I think it's even a church thing. A clown honked the bulb with an old-fashioned horn. He wasn't a clown from one of those dreadful movies, but a popular clown with a curly rainbow wig. Attention, please. We're ready to announce our winners. Children, come up to the front and bring your parents. Dylan and Josie appeared at their sides with candy-stained grins. The women ushered them forward while scrounging in their purses for tickets. The clown's white gloves hovered in the air for silence. 
The children were all suddenly still and quiet, except for the restless squeaking of balloon animals. Sharon felt the owners of the cars lining up close behind him. The clown's mouth stretched to the corners of his red grease paint smile. Now! It went dark. Sharon brushed popcorn off her face and sat up. The movement made her skull throb. Someone screamed, Josie! Where's my Josie? Sharon blinked. She was surrounded by wailing parents in an empty parking lot. This is Exit 73. Welcome to New Mexico, the land of enchantment. I announce our auspicious crossing of state lines. 500 miles down, or as I like to call it, almost there. I guess I'm a glass half full kind of guy. Adam barely looks up as he mutters, Every glass is 100% full. The quote glass you allude to consists of 50% water and 50% air. Adam was the worst kind of asshole. The kind that was usually right. I can't believe I'm stuck with this D-bag for the whole trip. So 500 more miles with the guy who just corrected the lady on NPR. Apparently he considers the word recycle to be redundant. I'm amazed this guy doesn't get his nose broke on the regular. If I could have showed up for my stupid labs, I wouldn't have to be on this insane trip. I thought taking astronomy class would be fun. I've always been interested in space and shit. Adam, of course, is here because he must get off on driving all over creation to install backup memory trips for gravitational wave detection stations. I decided to break the silence. Hey, Adam. If you had the chance, would you like to go to space? Without an ounce of irony, he says. Everyone who has ever lived throughout history has been to space. The Earth is a planet in space, hurtling around a star at 67,000 miles per hour. Okay, my bad. Uh, would you want to go to Mars? No, he says. I prefer the protection of an atmosphere. I feign interest as Adam rattles off all the perils the trip to Mars apparently entails and why terraforming is impossible, and that's when I saw it. Out of nowhere, hovering in the sky just above the horizon. A glorious 50-foot billboard with huge all-cap neon green letters. See. The. Thing. And then under the neon, in more restrained black font, Exit 73. I think I startled him when I shouted, Fuck yes! We are so gonna see the thing! Adam just looks at me like a disappointed parent. I'm not stopping at some bogus tourist trap. Now, I'm not proud of it, but the first thought that went through my head when he shut me down was how easy it would be to disappear a body out here. We're in the middle of nowhere. Nothing but mile markers and dirt. It's not like anyone would miss them. I certainly wouldn't. We drove on. I usually don't talk to strangers, as a rule, but after so many hours in the car with Adam, it was refreshing to chat up the jerky stand attendant at the Roadrunner truck stop. Which jerky do you recommend? I've only ever had beef and deer. Ah, uh, you gotta try our house specialty. She points to a pile of leathery, dried-up curly cues of mystery meat. It's alien jerky, only available in New Mexico. She flashes a warm, albeit gray-toothed smile. Sold! I'll take four strips and a Coke. She rang me up. Hey, have you ever been out to see the thing? Of course, she says. How do you think we make the alien jerky? She laughed, and I admit, so did I. She handed me the jerky and a Coke, and I headed back to the Jeep. For the first time in 548 miles of travel, I made it back from the pit stop before Adam. I seized the opportunity and plopped my ass down in the driver's seat. A few minutes later, he got in. I braced myself for the inevitable. If you insist on driving, I'd prefer you not eat or drink while at the wheel. 15% of vehicular fatalities are caused by distracted driving. 
Dude, it's jerky. I think we'll be okay. I turn the key and hit the gas and merge back into the freeway. Only we're not headed to Antenna Station 47B. We're headed to see The Thing. For the next 30 miles or so, I'm almost in a good mood. Part excited to see The Thing, but mostly I can't wait to see his reaction when I hit that blinker. As we get closer, we pass more billboards for The Thing. It takes all my self-control not to smile or give Adam any hint of what's really going on in my head. I offer him some jerky, and to my surprise, he accepts. I guess eating while on the passenger seat isn't taboo. Well, Adam, you may never go to Mars, but according to the cashier, you're eating alien jerky. And before he can explain why that's impossible or why it's dangerous to talk to strangers, there it is. Exit 73. I flick the turn signal and exit the freeway. Never has such a small act of defiance felt so good. Adam, on the other hand, barely reacts. He just sat there with his stupid face, chomping his way through my jerky. God forbid he gives me the satisfaction. Whatever. I have a thing to see, and you can sit in the car for all I care. We pull into the dirt lot in front of the entrance slash gift shop. Looks like we're the only people there, which is not surprising. This thing is in the middle of nowhere, after all. I throw it in park and put the sunshade up and hop out of the car. I hear Adam's door open and see him get out. I guess a tourist trap is a slightly better option than sitting inside a car in the desert. We head into the entrance. Inside is a narrow room bathed by the purple glow of black lights. Neon arrows point toward the end of the room where the automated machine takes money and spits out an emission token. There were several options to choose from, basic tour, family pass, senior citizen, but the one that caught my attention was the button that said two for one, all access. Not so much for the two for one, but you know I'm going VIP experience. I looked, but I couldn't find a single all access option. I guess most people don't come here with someone they hate. So I suck it up and boom, gets me the premium two for token. There was a special door for the all-access clientele. The door was way down at the hairy edge of the black light's range, but there's just enough light to see where to drop the token. In it goes. I can hear it clank around and drop down deep inside. The metal door in front of us opens slowly, and a recorded voice welcomes us, first in English, then in Spanish, invites us to sit in a seat in a roller coaster-style pod, which is emitting some kick-ass smoke machine fog. We take our seats. The door closes behind us, and it is pitch black. Adam pipes up. Well, if it stays this dark, we won't be able to see anything. And as if on cue, the console of our pod lights up. There are two pads glowing with the outline of a handprint, the kind of scanners you see in cheesy movies. I slap my hand on top of the pad in front of me, but nothing happens. Dude, come on. Adam reluctantly places his hand on the other pad. A voice from inside the console says, All access granted. Whoosh! A blast of air blasts into our face. We're falling, or, or flying, maybe. The lights were strobing all around us, and my vision started to narrow. I, I feel queasy. That jerky might have been a mistake. Adam started screaming, but not the kind of scream you hear from amusement parks, the, the kind you hear when someone is in searing pain. I tried to look, but my body couldn't move. Maybe it was for the best. It was around then when I must have passed out. When I come to, my head is throbbing. I, I feel like I've been hit by a Mack truck. Even the air feels different. I can't move, but I can tell I'm lying down. I can feel my shoulder blades and heels pressing against a hard, cold surface. My eyelids are crusted shut, and it feels like my mouth is coated with sand. I'm so fucking thirsty. I know, Adam says. For the first time ever, I'm glad to hear his voice. Adam, thank God, are you okay? I can't see. He doesn't answer, but I swear I can feel his anger and judgment. We can't see. What? The pronoun you're looking for is we. Just then, I get hit with a shockwave from two percussive thumps. Bam! Bam! Then I hear a muffled voice. 
Please refrain from tapping on the glass case. Thank you. Everybody in? Okay. Welcome to the eighth wonder of the world. And behold, the thing. Discovered in an ancient cave by local miners, the thing has baffled scientists for years. Two heads, but only one body. Is it the result of an ancient burial ritual lost to time? Is this the outcome of a horrible accident? Be this man or monster. Perhaps it's the fossilized remains of an unknown species, or is it the cadaver of a stranded being from another world? The deformity of the head and the desiccation of the body make it impossible to tell. It truly is a one of a kind. There's only one word to describe it. The thing. This story takes place immediately after the events of The Raft from Creepshow 2. Slick. The blonde kid thrashed through the murky water and clawed his way up the mud bank. He flopped over and bellowed at the oily gyre in the lake. I beat you! I beat you! The viscous thing reared up like a cobra and beached itself, swallowing the young man whole. Rupert lit a cigarette and watched the brackish mass slough back into the lake with its prize. He'd been up all night watching those idiots on the raft as they got picked off by old Slick. Some of them might have made it if they'd had better instincts. They could have shoved someone off as bait or just rolled the dice and dove in separate directions. Not even Slick could be everywhere at once, although it sometimes seemed like it. In the end, it had saved him a bullet. Rupert couldn't let word about Slick get out. Their lemon-yellow Camaro was parked at the edge of the lake, with the stereo blasting rock and roll. He carefully moved in and killed the music, keeping his movements smooth and his eyes on the lake. Slick flicked a spider-silk tendril up and snatched a darting dragonfly. Not even four potheads could put a dent in Slick's appetite. Rupert searched the car. College sweatshirts, jerseys, books... He sighed. It was a non-event when a drifter or an old person disappeared out here. Rupert knew this and chose his victims carefully. Worthless people that no one would miss. These kids had come out from Horlicks University. Rich kids with worried mommies and daddies who wouldn't stop until an army of cops, rangers, and volunteers were out combing the entire countryside. Judging by their antics, they'd likely raised hell and left an impression on everyone they'd passed along the way. Maybe Rupert would get lucky, and the lake would freeze over before the police found it. He imagined Slick snacking on a bunch of police divers while their partners on the shore gaped in horror and unloaded everything they had into the churning froth of blood and guts. Sure, that would be a hoot but it would also mean the end of his backwoods paradise. Half the fun of killing people was watching Slick snack on the bodies. Slick was more than just Rupert's pet or accomplice. The remorseless, insatiable mass of black slime was his spirit animal. Maybe he could push the car into the lake. It wasn't bottomless, but it was damn near close. There was a vast underground lake system beneath Stantonville. Rupert suspected that was where Slick had come from, burped up during an earthquake or something, unable to return to its world of primordial darkness. He slowly made his way around the vehicle 
and shoved the bumper. The Camaro rocked and sank slightly into the mud. He'd have to put his back against it and push with his legs. Rupert hated taking his eyes off the water. Dragonflies hovered over the dark surface of the lake. A pair of geese swooped down to skim the water with their wings, and then soared away. Maybe Slick had chased a turtle to the bottom. He put his back into it and strained. The Camaro glided, rolled, and picked up speed. Rupert gave it a final push and chuckled to himself, remembering that last cocky kid. The nose of the Camaro splashed into the water. Rupert shoved off to keep himself well out of the danger zone. He lunged forward and then snapped back, belt stuck on some part of the Camaro. His feet slid across the mud, gouging brief trenches before slipping into the water. Rupert's laughter was lost in the bubbles of the sinking car. The ripples died out, and the lake was satin smooth once more. No trace left but the little shimmering oil slick. The story's called Wanting. He first encountered the monster as a child, coincidentally the very same day he discovered passion. He had seen a yard dressed to the nines in Halloween finery, tombstones, ghosts, legs buried in the ground, and there, behind the gallows, a being of friendly malevolence. A tall, powerful creature, engaging to behold but with too much knowledge behind the gaze. How was he to know the thing batting at the noose was no mere dummy stuffed with newspaper? How was he to know the monster was all too real? He found out for sure when it followed him home and convinced him that he could, no, must, create his own haunted spectacle and make it better than this one. The monster prodded him along with promises of perfection, reward, endless accolades from the passers-by, impressed as they would surely be at his stunning tableau. But secretly, the one-eyed, smiling thing had other appetites. When the yard was finished, it was fine and good, a competently ephemeral ode to the wondrous, the spooky, the best of all seasons. But the blinding time spent in the making meant friendships uncultivated, and no one left to trick-or-treat with on Halloween night. But the monster was there. The monster took outsized glee in the staying home. It ate up the irony when no one came to experience the grisly fruits of a month's long labor, out of the way as the house was from all the sweetest grazing. And it drank up the sting when the winds and the rain blew everything down a mere one day later. The sting slowly faded, though, and sometime thereafter, when the sharp-clawed, swiftly-moving monster got its pincers into the boy again, it whispered that the world could be his if only he would try and try and bleed in the trying. That was the year he tried and failed to win a scholarship to the most prestigious film school in the country, without which he could not afford to attend. The jury that year did not appreciate horror as a mirror. They could not see that the crabs swarming over his painstaking model town represented society and all its ills, and so he took communications while the film gathered dust on the shelf, the copies slime in the landfill. And so it went, age after age, the unkempt, myopic thing at his shoulder goaded, encouraged, poured honeyed fuel on the flames of his desire, and feasted greedily on the carbon results. But the man was happy, at least while in the making. The aftermath was never pleasant, as one by one his grand schemes gave way to median reality, but there was always some new plan on the horizon, some new reminder that the next thing would be THE thing, and some new delight the monster would describe in beguiling detail. Unbidden came the grandest scheme of all in the waning dusk of his 42nd year, a professional haunted house, but not just any haunted house. 
He would pull, wailing through the veil, the finest gathering of ghouls, thrills, and chills ever assembled, using all the knowledge and all the skill he had acquired over decades, the building, the storytelling, the business acumen gleaned from that one course that one time, and most of all, his no-holds love for that marvelously macabre, that gleefully grim, the best of all seasons, Halloween. With effort, he dismissed the notion as youthful whimsy. Lying awake in the middle of the night, he knew the time was past to pursue such intangible things as dreams. But when he rolled on his side, there staring at him from the shadows, eye aglow, was the monster, sunken, yes, but attached to him still, unwilling to relinquish such a buffet. He told the monster no and turned away, but the persistent thing tickled the nape of his neck and countered, yes. A large loan, the seasonal nature of the business, and the competitive danger of a crowded marketplace was no match for the monster's lust. Not even the alienation of the woman he loved could rid him fully of its influence. They had met on that night when his art had hung in a public showing. She was a hobbyist, having loved to paint as a girl, and though they did not share the same underworldly inclination, they nevertheless found common ground along other horizons. Only now the sun was setting, and the wildflower hillsides were thirsty and bare. She was happy in her life, happy to let hobbies be hobbies, and he, despite his efforts, never quite could be. He took his loans, he found his place, and he built his haunted house, and in his eyes it was his greatest creation. The woman was gone, but if she couldn't understand his passions, then they didn't belong together anyway. The monster commiserated, stoking the flames, directing the man's efforts right up until opening night. The location chosen was in a bad part of town, but the people would come, they had to, and maybe even she would find her way back when that word of his success reached her waiting ears. He leaned his own ear against the doors, seeking and hoping to hear voices aflutter with anticipation. The night was quiet, but it would not remain that way, and hey. If this didn't work out, there was always the next thing. He flung the doors wide and took a tentative step into the night while the glutted creature rumbled in ecstasy. The Dentist Dr. Olson, DDS, stood on his porch with a plastic pumpkin brimming with treats. Parents were often surprised that he didn't hand out miniature toothbrushes, but he never saw the fun at that. He decorated his lawn, took off his tie, and handed out candy like everybody else. He watched a pink princess trudge through the dead leaves with her family. The crunch of her tiny slippers stopped at the edge of his driveway. I don't want to go, she pouted. He recognized her as Sarah Blaine, one of his newer patients. The little handyman poking her in the back with the toy drill must have been her brother Lucas. The tallest a pirate tugging at her tiara with a hook hand was Jackson. They chanted in unison, Sarah, 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 Sarah. Sarah's father knelt down and placed his hand on her thin shoulders. She responded with a gloomy nod and stepped onto the neat white paving stones. Lucas and Jackson ran ahead, racing each other to the front porch. Dr. Olson leaned over with a flawless smile. Wow! Cool costumes, a handyman, and a pirate. Jackson looked up and cringed, the bent silhouette of Dr. Olson looming in the glare of the porch light, conjured thoughts of the dentist's chair. He flipped his eye patch down. Lucas tried to hold his grip on a fake smile. The stubs of his new front teeth peeped out from his gums. Sarah slowly climbed the steps. Is that little Sarah Blaine I see? She hid behind her brothers 
They were small and mute, unable to shield her from the memories of the long stabbing needle and the shrill screaming drill. Here you go. Dr. Olsen filled their bags with generous portions of candy. The bright streams of goodies temporarily erased their fears. When the last piece dropped, they turned as one and dashed down the steps. Kids! Their father chided from the edge of the driveway. They reluctantly turned back and droned. Thank you, Dr. Olsen. The children left swinging their bags full of caramels, dots, Swedish fish, sour tubes, and fish-sized jawbreakers. Each candy had been chosen for its superior ability to clean, dissolve enamel, crack teeth, and supercharged cavity-causing bacteria. Dr. Olsen enjoyed Halloween more than anyone. Soon, it would be his turn to put on a mask and wave his hook and drill. The sugary seeds he sowed tonight would become a bountiful harvest of rotten teeth, bleeding gums, tears, and terror. He flashed another gleaming smile and waved. See you soon! Nobody. Nobody trusts anybody now. And we're all very tired. All I can do is send this out. My own message in a bottle. I hope it finds you well. I hope one day we can see each other. Until then... I hope you have a happy Halloween. This is U.S. Outpost number 1031. Signing off. Jack-o'-lanterns blazing and pin your ears open as we dip into a puzzle of paranormal perils. First up, from the pernicious pen of Jeff C. Carter, it's Trunk or Treat. Jeff, um, that was a story from your book, We Bleed Orange and Black. I noticed that you, um, have been getting a lot of really positive buzz from reviewers. These, uh, these spookfluencers, Halloweenfluencers, are just really loving the book. The, their kids are really loving the book. It's very exciting. So congratulations. Yeah. Yeah. The, so far, so good. Adding the which stories are, like, safe for kids and stuff was a great idea. It was a really good idea. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of glad I got out in front on that one because, A, I didn't want, like, some of the hardcore horror people to be put off by some of, the, like, the PG-rated stories. <laughs> um... And also, I, you know, I, I saw that as a potential plus for people who might want to, you know, share some stories with their kids. And that's what some people have been doing. And that's kind of cool. And it's a huge plus for their kids who can sneak the more adult stories on their own. Yeah, reading about serial killers disemboweling people. But it's all, good stuff. All the kids have been thrown into trunks and driven off to who knows where. Yeah, yeah, that's that's why that story is, is prescriptive. They, they oh, need their <laughs> release. I'll be going through my copy with a with a black marker and just lining out everything anyway. So. Redacted. The Halloween <laughs> Redacted. story. Redacted. The book smells like a chemical plant because it's so soaked in the magic <laughs> marker. Next, we have 
Exit 73 from Danny, Mr. Jekyll, Sackle. Danny, that was awesome. Oh. That was very, very good. Congratulations. Sir. I had no idea where that was going. Uh -oh. That was fantastic. <laughs> Were we Adam? No, Is actually a... I am. That was me. That's <laughs> the part of me I hate. Always correcting stupid and significant. That's that's what Ed would call the the Neil deGrasse Tyson pill. Yeah. So did they get sucked into a terrarium and be and become the thing? Did well, they get jerkyfied? This is the I don't know. I kind of threw it all in the bag. So it's either um people get made in, they actually do get made into jerky. Maybe it's the land of enchantment and things weird things happen. Maybe he is in a glass half full or 100% full. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> So it basically, I just wanted him to get stuck with uh, each other for forever, and I don't know. Oh man, I was going to try to I was going to try to explain it, but then I learned one thing from writing jokes: is you stop at the punchline. So after Same I got short to, stories, yeah, oh. just like all right, stop uh -oh. at the punchline. Yeah, just like all right, we'll stop at that. I want to try to I won't try to explain it. Fantastic. After that, Gypsy Carter walks again with a spooky story of slimy sentiment called Slick. That's my favorite story. That's the only story, the only one I remember from Creepshow 2. Yeah, that was my favorite part of Creepshow 2. I got a, a writing prompt for uh, a story that picks up where a Halloween movie left off, and I looked through the like the Wikipedia list of movies that take place on Halloween, and A, just like a joke ends at the punchline, you know, a horror movie usually ends where it's supposed to. There, there's nothing good waiting for you on the other side of that. I saw that Creepshow 2 was on there, and Slick has always been my favorite story. Oh, actually, it's called The Raft. Um, uh, Slick is in the Stephen King version that's based on, and both of them are related to this old story called Slime that... I also loved as a child. So it was like the culmination of my deep love of blobs uh, all in this one story. And I originally, you know, conceived it as this much bigger story where Rupert was trying to get the slick in a barrel and bring it home. And I worked out all those ways he could do it and like how you could use an outboard engine on a uh, jet boat to like suck in fluids and stuff. But then I realized it was supposed to be 500 words. So if you'd like to read the larger version of uh, Slick, you can... Uh, visit your local library. Visit your local library. <laughs> That's right. Then we'll weigh and measure and find Wanting by Dying Ryan Geras. I want to give Ryan a hug. A thinly veiled metaphor for the desires that drive us. It's really good, though, man. Carbon results. This is not a knock on your story. In fact, oh far from it. It's the, the opposite. I, I get the sense, and you've indicated as much, that you wrote that like you just dashed that off very quickly. Uh, yeah, I mean, a couple hours here, a couple hours there. But like this week? Yeah. I, I don't know how you do it. I, I work so freaking hard on my stories, and I swear, you're just like a poet. You just... You just turn it on. Just increase the flower factor by 60% and you're golden. Yeah, it's so good. I really, really like your stuff, man. I went Bradbury style again this time. Well, you could be the next Danny Sackwell. I really think <laughs> so. <laughs> One can only hope. 
And last but not beast, a catastrophically corrupting confection, The Dentist by Jeff C. Cart. <laughs> that story is fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Another child's favorite from We Bleed Orange and Black by Jeff Carter. Maybe don't let your kids read that one <laughs> if you're already afraid of going to the dentist. Happy Halloween, COVID crazies. <laughs>